tonight we're going to be looking at our sufficiency or my sufficiency in Christ. You can personalize it if you want. My sufficiency in Christ. And to do this, I want to, I want to turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And this is um, an incident that happened when Jesus was here on earth. He was um, <clears throat> dealing with all these people who were following him continually. And we see in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44, the account of Jesus feeding, it says the 5,000 probably in your Bible, but it was probably more like fifteen to 25,000 because it was 5,000 men. So you add in the kids and the wives and everybody. So it was quite a few amount of people with just a small amount of food. And it was a true miracle that Jesus did this. And so we want to read this text and just kind of glean some things out of here tonight. And um, so follow along as I read Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. It says there, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So they were out ministering. They came back. It says verse 31, and he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Uh, they were busy with ministry. They were just worn out. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Verse 32, and then they, they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. And many of them, saw, uh, now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot. <laughs> so it, it didn't uh, work out. From all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them. Because it says they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, Look, this is a desolate place. And the hour is now late. Send them away. <laughs> to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So they were kind of saying, hey, we're tired. We want to go to bed. Verse 37, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. Don't send them away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, well, what do you want us to do? Shall we go and buy, two, and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Almost, you can kind of sense the sarcasm there. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups, the crowd, and on the green grass. And they, they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Now, we're talking a large amount of people. Like I said, probably fifteen to 20,000 minimum. Verse 41, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up into heaven. Jesus looked up into heaven. He said a blessing, and he broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And look at what happened in verse 42, and they all ate and were satisfied. Um, talk about a lunch. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So it always lists the men, but it doesn't tell you about the kids and the women. So it was probably more of 15 to, to 20,000 people there. Well, let's pray as we look into this tonight and see what God has for us. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for our, our, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gives us these accounts in Scripture that prove to us that he is truly the Son of God. And Lord, we thank you for our relationship with you through him, that he came and he died. Um, he lived a perfect life here on earth, and then he went to the cross, and he gave up his life willingly and took all of our sin upon himself, and he paid the price so that we could be reconciled, so that we could have a, a fresh a relationship with our Creator God. And Lord, we thank you for, for providing that salvation uh, through your son. And Lord, we pray tonight that you would open our eyes and our hearts to your word. Help us to close out any distractions. Help us to uh, just be able to focus tonight on our sufficiency in Christ. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Have you ever felt overwhelmed with um, just maybe your job, maybe your family, maybe uh, your finances, your relationships, those of you who are serving the Lord actively? Have you ever felt overwhelmed just trying to serve the Lord, just doing the bare minimum? And you know what? We, we really, honestly, we live as needy people serving Christ in a needy world. There's, there's so many people out there with needs, is there not? I mean, we all have people in our, in our own families that have needs. We have people in our communities that have needs. And, uh, you know, so many times you can feel overwhelmed, really, with, with the immensity of the task that God calls you to do. And, and it forces you into a corner and, and you begin to feel inadequate, you feel like, Lord, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And you, you start thinking things, well, how can I even meet the needs of this small little congregation? How can I meet the needs, let alone of all the people in the world that are hurting? Um, there's, there's no passage, I think, that, that gives us a more profound encouragement about our service for Christ than the gospel accounts of the feeding of the 5,000. And it's probably one of the most important incidences in Jesus' ministry. And the reason I say that, it's one of the most important ones, is because it's, it's one of the only accounts that's in all four Gospels. Remember, we're teaching through the Gospel of John on Sundays, and we said that 90% of the Gospel of John is original to John. It's not found in the other Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have a lot of similarity, but John doesn't. Well, this, this you'll find this in the Gospel of John. And so it's in every Gospel that tells about the Lord. Um, and I think sometimes when you read this, we have probably read it in Sunday school, we probably have read it in our devotions over and over again. And it's weird because when you look at this, you can come away refreshed with a new kind of vision on what the Lord has for you every time uh, you read it because it really gives us... Uh, shows us our insufficiency in and of ourselves and the sufficiency of Christ and how he is more than sufficient to meet our needs and even the needs of this lost and dying world we live in. And so the Lord really used this incidence here, this feeding of the 5,000, for training ground for his disciples. He wanted them to learn something from this experience. Uh, he wanted them to, uh, to show them really what what was going on here. Now, the miracle itself um, is really almost passed over because we, it doesn't tell us really how he did it. It doesn't say then he took the, the bread and he, you know, and all of a sudden all this bread was there. It doesn't even, it just passes over that. It doesn't tell us exactly how Jesus did this. Obviously, it was a miracle, but, you know, on some of the other occasions of Jesus' miracle, what's he doing? He, he, he kneels down, he takes the mud, and he puts it on their eye. You know, it's a little more explanation. This one, we have no explanation whatsoever. We're never told how Jesus did this. And so the focus is not on the nature of the, the miracle. That's not where God wants us to look. That's not <clears throat> really where Christ wants us to look. I think what he wants us to be focused on is what it teaches us it teaches those who serve Jesus how, how he is completely sufficient to meet the needs of other people through us. Because we are not a, sufficient. We, we can't really do that. And, and so tonight we want to look at this. Christ will give us his sufficiency to meet the needs of people if we yield our insufficiency to him. And there's a couple things we have to understand here. First of all, people are needy. Amen? How many of you here tonight are needy? We're all needy. Put your hand up. If you don't put your hand up, you're lying. You know, we're all needy on occasion. But, you know, when you have the opportunity to work with somebody who's really, really, really needy, you begin to realize, wow, this is hard work. This is very, very difficult. I remember early on in my ministry here, I was meeting with a couple gentlemen for probably a year or so, once a week. And, and then just out of the blue, they decided they, would, they were going to leave the church. And they told me, you know what? We don't think as a pastor you're, you're meeting our needs. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? I mean, we're meeting every week. 
know, I mean, you know, for several hours. And, uh, well, you know, you don't, you don't call us on the other days. Well, I see a Sunday, I see a Wednesday, we meet on Thursdays or whatever it was. I mean, what, you, you expect me to call you every day? Yeah. I'm like, wow. I mean, talk about needy, right? I mean, it was, it was very odd. But I think they're just looking for an excuse to leave. But, but that being said, people are needy. And so the apostles here, they return from, really, it's their first preaching tour off on their own. Jesus sent them out, and they're out there, and they're, they're coming back to report to Jesus all that they had done and taught. That's what it says there in verse 30. And, and Jesus perceived that, you know, when you do something for the first time, I think I can attest to that. Ken can attest to that. Kainoa can attest to that. Others who've taught. You know, when you do it for the first time, it just sucks the life out of you. Emotionally. Because you're nervous. You don't know if you're going to be able to do it right. You, just, you know, and same thing when you lead worship or whatever. The first, you're just nervous. You're in a bundle of nerves. And so it just wears you down. And I can only imagine how the apostles felt being sent out by the Lord himself, being told what to do. And they're just done. They went out, God used them and everything, and they're excited to be back. But Jesus could tell. Jesus was very perceptive. He was God, right? And he perceived their need for rest. And, and that is so important. And so what's he say? He says, come away by yourselves to a lonely place, to a desolate place, and rest a while. That's, that's welcoming words to somebody who was just spent ministering to needy people. And... Uh, I think that it's, it's important that it shows there that so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have time to eat. Have you ever been so busy you forgot to eat? I do this regularly. I mean, you probably can't tell by looking at me, but, you know, I mean, there'll be times sometime down here at the church, and it'll be, you know, two or three in the afternoon. And uh, it's like, wow, I'm starting to get dizzy. Why am I dizzy? Am I sick? It's like, well, I haven't eaten anything. I just had a couple cups of coffee. You know, and I got to go put some food in my body. You just get busy, right? And we've all gone through that. And so here, they got in this boat, and they thought, okay, great. This is going to be awesome. Jesus is going to take us to a desolate place. We're going to be away from all these people that we've been ministering to. But what happened? The only time they were in a desolate place was in the middle of the lake, in the boat with Jesus. And they were probably rowing at that point. So they didn't have a whole lot of rest. And, you know, that, that place they were crossing there, they started off for the far shore. People tell us it's probably four to five miles across the water. You know, it's not like they had a motorboat. So that's going to take some time. Maybe even if they put a sail up, it would, it would still take some time. Um, so they got into the boat and they started off for this far shore. And it turned out the only vacation they got was in the boat. Because as soon as they pulled up to shore, what do they see? They see all these people gathered there. Hey, we're waiting for you. And they're probably going, you got to be kidding me. They won't leave us alone. And the people saw them going. And this showed the need for, for people, these, this need. They were needy people. And they knew that Christ could meet their needs, even to the extent of giving them a meal. Right? They, they realized that. And so they thought, hey, we're going to follow this guy. Where's he going? He's going across the lake. Let's run around. And that's what they did. And they, they all came from all these towns, and they gathered there and waiting for them. And so when the disciples saw this crowd of needy people waiting for them, um, you know, it, it's kind of like the, the, the newlywed couple that goes away on their honeymoon to a hotel only to find out that the whole wedding party is staying at the same hotel, right? It's kind of like, whoa, you just ruined the party. Okay, this is not fun anymore, all right? And this is kind of probably how the disciples felt. They said, look at all these people on the shore. And, and I, I bet you they turned to the Lord and said, can we just turn around and go back? Let's just hang in the middle of the lake where they can't get to us. Um, this is how needy these people were. They had great physical needs, um, Many of them brought their loved ones to Jesus to be healed. Matthew 14, 14 tells us that. And by the end of the day, um, they, were, they were hungry. Uh, they had nowhere to get food because they were just out there to meet Jesus, out in the middle of nowhere, basically. But Jesus perceived that their greatest need wasn't food. It was what? It was spiritual food. It wasn't physical food. And we see what he does here. It says in verse 34, he felt compassion for them. Think about that. I think Jesus was tired. 
I mean, he's dealing with these disciples, he's dealing with all these people, and then he gets there to get away with his disciples, maybe just have some downtime, and here the people are again. And rather than, you know, just pack up his little entourage and go back out into the lake, he said, no, you know what, I, I have compassion on these people. And notice why, it says, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost. They were lost. Sheep are not the smartest animals, okay? They're, they're actually pretty stupid. And, you know, I think that's why the Bible relates us to sheep, all right? Uh, we, you know, they, they'll fall on a hole and they just sit there. They, they don't know, you know. They're, they're, they're just silly. Or they'll wander off from their, everybody else and, and expose themselves to the dangers of wolves and all things. And they need a shepherd. That's why they have a shepherd. Uh, they can't just monitor themselves and be okay. And so Jesus felt compassion for them because they didn't have a shepherd. And what did he do? He, he says he began to teach them many things. And so the Lord looked at the, the, the very depth of these people's soul. And rather than saying, wow, they look really hungry. Maybe we should just make them some food. No, he started to teach them. He knew what their greatest need was, even though they didn't perceive that. They didn't understand that. They were probably, their stomachs were probably growling while, while Jesus was teaching. And, um, but he knew the greatest need of people was to know how to be rightly related to God. That's the greatest need that anyone ever has. That spiritual connection between themselves and the Lord. And that's why we're called to share the gospel with people. That's why we're to go out and tell people about, warn them about their sin and, and, and tell them to turn from their sin to the Savior, right? We want people to know Christ. We want people to be reconciled to their creator God. And so, you know, when you stop and you think about this, the greatest need of these people was to know how to be rightly related to God. Stop and think about how you, as a Christian, those of you that are Christians here tonight, how do you look at lost people? You look at them down your self-righteous judging nose, these sick people, stay away from me, you know? Uh, or do you have compassion like Christ had? You know, sometimes lost people can be very irritating. They can, be, they can wear on your nerves. You know, it's easy to see lost people as the disciples did here. What? They're a bother. They're a bother. I've seen it happen even here on this campus when someone who may come on a Sunday doesn't necessarily smell right or look right. Or maybe when they come over here to the fellowship time and they're serving themselves the food, they don't just take one plate, they take five. Because maybe they're really hungry and they're living on the street and they don't have any food. And I've had people come to me, what are we going to do about this, Pastor? That, that guy took two, two, two plates. I'm not going to do anything. What are you talking about? We're not here for the food anyway. I mean, you stop and think about that. But that's how cold we can all be. And I've, I've done the same thing. I'm not pointing my fingers. It's, I'm pointing, myself, pointing the finger at myself. But here the disciples thought, you know what? These people are a bother. We're tired. We've, we've ministered as much as we want to minister today. Send them away. The, these people are taken out uh, away from my time off. You promised us a time away, Jesus. These people are ruining it. Um, why don't they behave like they should? What's the matter with these crazy people anyway? You know, that's how we feel sometimes. But Jesus, on the other hand, viewed these people how? Compassionately. He really did. Because he saw them, it says, without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd are what? They're confused because they don't know what to do. They're frightened, okay, because there's so many threats to them. They don't know which way to go. Um, you know, there's some animals you could drop them off 10 miles away from the house and guess what? When you get home, they'll be there before you are, right? There are certain animals that just that, that shepherd, sheep don't have that instinct. Um, they don't know which way to go. They, they fear disease, cry, all this stuff, you know, and, and he's looking at them as sheep. And so if you think about people, what do they fear? Disease, crime, economic failure, catastrophes, death, climate change, all this stuff that's put in our head right? And, and, and those have, over a period of time, cause us to be confused and frightened. And it's a very, very mixed bunch of people that he's, he's looking at here. And instead of saying, you stupid sheep, you know, I'm not going to put any more time into you guys. 
No, he says he felt compassion. And we should have that same compassion. Okay. Secondly, we are sufficient to meet the overwhelming needs of people. And they are overwhelming. Even in our small little church, the needs are overwhelming okay, in people's lives. And, you know, now you may not know everybody's needs and stuff, and we don't even know everybody's needs, but we've realized that there's a lot of needs here. And the manner in which Jesus performed this miracle is very telling. It's very significant. Um, Think about it. He could have just said, you know what? Yeah, okay, Father, send some manna down. (laughs) Here, okay, eat this. He could have done that. He's God. Um, Commentators really emphasize the fact that this miracle took place Guess where? In the wilderness. And that 5,000 seated in companies of hundreds and fifties recalls Israel, what? In the Old Testament, camped by tribes in the wilderness under Moses. Very similar. Calling down manna would have been very consistent with what Moses did and and how God provided for them and and the fact that, that Jesus was the new Moses, you could say. He didn't do it that way. He didn't do that. The Lord could have just said, you know what? I'll create some bread for these people. Boom, and it's done. Uh, in, a, 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 in a spoken word, a loaf of bread could have miraculously appeared in everybody's hand. Everybody could have had their own fish and their own loaf of bread. Jesus could have done that, could he not? He didn't do that. And everyone, if that would have happened, I mean, think about it. Even here tonight, if, I've, you know, if you just snapped your fingers and everybody all of a sudden had a loaf of bread sitting in front of you, you'd be like, where did that come from? Well, that's, that's amazing. You'd be in awe, right? Well, the same thing would have been there. Everyone would have been probably more awed at Jesus' power than they were with the quiet way this miracle was done. It wasn't a big show. Um, it would have been much more, I would say, efficient. <laughs> it would have been much more impressive than having these whining disciples distribute the bread and the fish to all the people. But that's what Jesus chose to do. Um, or Jesus could have called down angels. Think about that. Who could have given everybody a piece of bread? That would have been kind of a neat show to watch. Um, Angel flies directly into your group and hands out the bread and flies away. I mean, that would have been amazing to watch. But how did Jesus do it? Who did he use? He used these disciples whose probably their hearts weren't right at this point. And what was their goal? Their goal was to distribute the bread and the fish to people. And um, I'm sure that the Lord did it this way. He distributed the bread through the disciples to really use this as a teaching moment for his disciples. That, you know what, there's going to be people that are, that are lost and that are needy in this world. And you know what, God wants to meet their needs through you as my disciples. That's his message to them. And Christ meets the needs of people, guess how? Through people. That's, that's why it's so important we realize the necessity of gathering together, right, as the church. See, part of gathering together, and, and a lot of churches lost this when the whole COVID thing came down. They just stopped meeting for years, some of them, right? And, and they thought, oh, we're just not going to meet anymore. We can just do it online. You can't do church online. I mean, you can listen to it and watch it, but it's not, you're not going to have the fellowship. You're not going to be able to do ministering to other people. Why? Because there's no people there with you. You know, you're just on your couch in your bathrobe with your latte, you know, watching the pastor on the big screen, you know. That, that, that's not church. I'm not saying you can't learn something from that. You could, but that's not church. And so it's very important that we come out and we rub elbows and we brush up against one another Sunday, Wednesdays, Tuesday mornings, Thursday nights, whenever we meet, because it's important that, you know what, Christ meets the needs of people through people. Um, I used to say this, and I stopped saying it because I thought, wow, that is such a horrible thing to say. Earlier in my ministry as a youth pastor, I say, man, youth ministry would be great if it wasn't for the kids. <laughs> I thought, what? And then when I came here, I was like, boy, ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. And I thought, what am I saying? Wait, that's not, that's not right. I meant it as a joke. But somebody called me out on it one time, and it, it really spoke to my heart. And I thought, i got to stop saying that, even as a joke. 
Because if it wasn't for people, you would have no ministry. If it wasn't for teenagers or young people, you wouldn't have any ministry. So it's interesting that the kind of people that Jesus has used, that Jesus uses are always insufficient people. I mean, think of these disciples. What were they? They're like a band of fishermen, pretty much. I mean, they, you know, they, they, and they weren't even good fishermen because every time you read about them fishing, what were they doing? They were always, they were just mending their nets. They weren't ever really fishing. And when they did fish, they didn't catch anything until Jesus told them what to do. So you know, question their profession, but they were very insufficient. And you know what? Jesus uses, God uses insufficient people. He uses tired people, first of all. Um, you know, are you tired tonight? I'm tired tonight. Um, I got up at three o'clock this morning. So I'm tired. I got to get up early tomorrow because we have prayer time. I'm tired. But you know what? God uses tired people. You don't stop being used by God just because you're tired. Jesus knew they were tired. He knew they needed physical rest. But the only rest they really had was that short trip across the lake I mean, you know, their tiredness comes through in their request, doesn't it? Send them away. Why do we have to entertain these people again? You just send them away. They're tired. Some of you tonight, I can tell, are very tired. You've worked a long day. Some of you were painting all day. Some of you were, you know, working at your jobs all day. You're, you're tired, but you're here, right? Because you know that that's not an excuse. He also uses busy people. Uh, they didn't have much time to eat because they were always ministering to people. That's pretty busy when you don't have time to eat. Um, you know, you think of the, the rat race that runs through our lives every day. Um, all of us are busy to some extent. And whenever you help people, as Jesus did, what happens? Word spreads. You know, and as that word spreads, what happens? One person tells another person, oh, yeah, yeah, go talk to this person. And all of a sudden, you know, instead of ministering to one person, you're ministering to five people. And, and uh, you know, you're swamped with the needs of hurting people. And, and this is what happened there. But Jesus uses busy people. And, and whenever you think you're too busy, just stop and think, wait, I don't have any more, I don't have any less time than anybody else. I always think about this sometimes, you know, you, you get busy doing things and it's like, wow, I'm so busy. I'm just running out of time. No, you're not running out of time. You have the same amount of time as everybody else. You're just managing your time poorly. That's what I catch myself doing all the time. And so it's very important. You got to stay on that. So Jesus uses busy people. He also uses emotionally drained people. Um, it, it, it's interesting when you think of that, uh, it's, it's difficult to really determine the exact chronology, but you think of, of Herod's banquet in, in chapter 6, in verse 20, 21 to 29, with Jesus' banquet shows that the disciples and Jesus were, were feeling the loss of John the Baptist. He was uh, murdered. And his death was this, this warning of what lays ahead for Christ. And the disciples' condition uh, is really seen, their emotional condition is seen in their lack of compassion. They, they didn't want to deal with this anymore. They said, send them away and let them take care of their own needs. I mean, think how horrible that is as a minister of Christ, a disciple of Christ, and needy people are coming. You think you'd be like, wow, okay, boy, roll up your sleeves. We got, we got more work to do here, Jesus. No, they're like, send these people away. Let them take care of themselves. I don't know about you, but I've been there. You know, you're spent. You don't have any more compassion to give. And so Jesus does exactly what Jesus usually does. He knows what's in their heart. And he basically tells them what? Why don't you guys give them something to eat? You know, quit whining and do something about it. Why don't you give them something to eat? Um, and that reveals really the, the fourth insufficiency here. Jesus uses people who has a lack of resources. He uses people who has a lack of resources. Uh, the disciples respond to Jesus' command to feed these 15,000 people 
with, with almost sarcasm. He says, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? Now, you know, a denarius was a day's wage for a working man. Matthew 22 tells us. So 200 denarii was seven to eight months of wages, you could say. Now, the disciples didn't have anything near that. They, they didn't have that kind of money. Um, and even if they did have that kind of money, if they were able to buy all that bread and the fish, it would have just been a very minimal, very minimal serving for each person. It wouldn't have fed them completely full. And besides that, you think of where they're at. It's not like they can just go downtown and get some. They're in a desolate place, it says. That means they would have to tra travel miles probably. And even if they went to town to buy it, there probably wouldn't be that much bread in a single town back in that day. It wouldn't, they wouldn't have that much available. And so what is Jesus saying here? He's, he's really accenting their inadequacy. And he asked them, well, okay, how many loaves do you have? Go figure it out. Go look. How many loaves of bread do you have? And they come back with these five small barley loaves and what? Two fish. And John's gospel, and we'll get to that on Sundays, but they, they basically took it from a kid. <laughs> so they took it from a little boy. Hey, kid, we got your, your what, do you, what do you got in that bag? Is that your lunch? You know, and the disciples, you know, they, they just wanted this thing over with. Give me that bag. And you see the little kid, he took my lunch, you know, too bad. So they come up with these five barley loaves, two fish. And, and Jesus also reports, by the way, Andrew as adding, what are these for so many people? Andrew's looking at the rest of them going, you idiots. This is five loaves and two fish, and we got 15,000 people. Come on. They were ridiculously lacking any resources to meet this demand in and of themselves. Stop and ask yourself, are you tired? Are you busy? Are you emotionally drained? Are you short of any resources? Are you short of funds? Well, guess what? Congratulations, you qualify. God wants to use you. You qualify to be used by God in a meeting of overwhelming needs of people. See, he doesn't work through sufficient people. He never has. He never will. He works through insufficient people who he gives the, him the inadequate resources that they have, they give them to the Lord, and they say, Lord, here, use this for whatever. I know it's not a lot, but hey. And what does God do? God uses them, and he uses what they give him. So people are needy. We're insufficient. And then the third thing here, Christ will give us his sufficiency when we yield our insufficiency to him to use as he pleases. Christ will give us his sufficiency. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is sufficient to meet your needs? I hope you do. He is. But sometimes I think we waver in the belief area here. You know, when we're looking at the end of the month and you know, we only got, uh, or the middle of the month, and, we, and we're already out of the money, right? And we're going, wow, how am I going to pay the rent at the end of the month? Uh, all these things. You have to understand, Christ will give us his sufficiency. He is completely sufficient. He'll give that to us when we yield our insufficiency to him. Um, there's an important distinction between choosing to serve and being a servant. Big, big difference. There's a big difference between choosing to serve and being a servant. See, you can choose to serve when what? When you're all rested. <laughs> That's, oh yeah, I'm going to go help the pastor at the church, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to, you know. It, it's easy to serve when you have time to serve. It's easy to serve when you're emotionally full, you're not drained. It's, it's easy to serve when you have money in the bank and adequate resources to bless other people with. Well, that's easy. 
But see, remember, Jesus doesn't work through people who choose to serve. He works through people who what? Are his servants. Big difference. That's why it's a, it's a lifelong thing. When you come to Christ, it's a very, very serious thing because you're signing up for life. You know, you're not signing up for 30 days and I'll decide whether I like it or not. And then, no. You know, Jesus tells the parable of the soil, right? We talked about that. And it's very important that, you know, we realize that, you know, sometimes people come to Christ for all the wrong reasons. But when someone legitimately comes to Christ and they want to be used by God, guess what? They will come and they will be just like Christ was. What did, what did Christ say? He, he came not to be served, but to what? But to serve. To serve. He gave up his life as a service. He works through people who are his servants. Um, we, we live in, a, in an age where we believe, unfortunately, that servants... Um, you know, volunteer to serve. I disagree with that. Servants don't volunteer to serve. It's not an option for a servant to serve. Think about just the word servant. If you had a servant in your house, you paid someone in your house to be a servant, and you were at the dinner table, and you said, hey, bring me a glass of water, servant. He doesn't have the option to say, well, you know, I'm a little tired right now. <laughs> Get your own water, right? He's not going to have his servant job very long. Um, why? Because servants are under obligation to serve whoever their master is. And as Christians, Christ is our master. So servants don't volunteer to serve. Uh, servants serve when they're tired, when they're busy, when they're emotionally drained, when they're lacking any resources whatsoever. Why? Because servants are under the obligation of their master. And, and I could see if Jesus didn't tell us this ahead of time, but he did. He said, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, what? Just do it as you want. You know, I'm, I'm not strict. It's, it's real easy. Just come to follow me. You know, it'll be a party. No. He says, you know what? You, you have to deny yourself daily. Not just one time. Daily. When's the last time any of us denied ourselves daily? And then he says, you have to take up your cross. Cross wasn't some little gold necklace that you put around your neck. It was an instrument of death. So what was Jesus telling his potential followers? He was saying, look, first of all, you don't exist anymore. If you want to follow me, I'm your master. You don't exist. You're my servant. So get out of your head everything that you want, because it really doesn't matter to me. You're going to do what I want you to do when I want you to do it. So that means you're going to have to deny what you want to do every day. Wow. And then you know what? It may even come to a point where you have to give up your life. You may have to die like I'm going to die. Are we willing to do that? How do we do all this? By yielding our insufficiency to him to use as he pleases. Um, five small loaves here, two fish, a boy's lunch it's not much to feed a massive crowd of 15,000, 20,000 people. And Matthew tells us this, a little different than Mark. It records Jesus as saying, bring them here to me. You know, the disciples said, here we got. We got five loaves and then two fish, two fish out of this brown bag we ripped off from this little kid. Um, what do you want us to do? He says, bring them here to me. See, that's the key. That's the key when you have inadequate resources. You take what you do have, and what do you do? You freely give it to the Lord. The insufficiency becomes more than sufficient when they're surrendered to Christ. Give our inadequate resources and our abilities to Christ. Well, two thoughts here. We must yield what we have, not what we don't have. We have to yield what we have. I mean, it kind of sounds obvious, doesn't it? But at the same time, so often we make up excuses about what we don't have. And then we fail to offer anything to Jesus that we do have. I mean, how many times have we thought, boy, if I just had more money, 
I could just really bless the church. I could, I could really give regularly then. I could really bless other people. If I just had the gift of evangelism, then I could really go out and witness more. If I just had the spiritual gifts of, of that person or this person, then, then I could really be used by you, Lord. But God never asked you to give him what you don't have. He never asks us that. That would be ridiculous. What does he ask you to give him? He asks you to give him what you do have. That's what he wants. So how many loaves do you have? Go look and then bring them to Jesus. That's, that's what he, he wants us to do. Um, there's an old country preacher. He went out to a farmer and he asked the farmer, he says, hey, if you had two farms, would you give one to the Lord, the Lord's work, sell it and give the money to the, the church? Um, would you be willing to give one farm to God if you had two? Farmer said, oh, yes, definitely. I just wish I was in the position to do that. That'd be great. And the, the preacher persisted. He said, if you had $20,000, would you give $10,000 to the Lord's work? And the farmer said, oh, definitely. I definitely would. I, I'd love to have that kind of money. And I'd definitely give half of that, you know, 10000 back to the Lord's work. I would definitely do that. And then the old-time preacher sprung his trap. He said, if you had two cows, would you give one cow to the Lord? And the farmer looked at him and goes, hey, that's not fair. You know I have two cows. <laughs> okay, you get the point? So go look what you have. Go look what you have. The point of the miracle is not that we're supposed to scrap up 2,000 denarii that we don't have to try to barely meet the overwhelming needs of, of all these multitude of people that we're trying to minister to. The point is that our insufficient resources become, what, sufficient when we put them in the Lord's hands. The Lord does not use what you don't have. He uses the insufficient things that you have when you yield them to him. Secondly, we must yield our insufficiency to him to use as he pleases. Um, we're not really giving to the Lord if we're trying to dictate to the Lord how he has to use what we give. Um, we have to give it to him and let him do with it as he sees fit. Uh, what did Jesus <clears throat> do with this boy's lunch? Um, this, is, this is what he does with us when we give him our insufficient abilities and our insufficient resources. What does Jesus do? Well, first of all, he, he blesses it, it says. Without his blessing on something, you're wasting your time. You really are. Psalm 127.1 says, unless the Lord, what, builds the house, they labor in vain, who what? Who try to build it. I pray that you long for God's blessing in your life, that you long for God's blessing on your labors and your ministry. I mean, everything in God's work depends upon his blessing. If it is there, even if it's an insufficient little amount, guess what? It becomes sufficient in God's eyes. If it's lacking the greatest resources and efforts in the world, will not be enough to, to change it, you know, if, if, it's lacking, if it's lacking God's blessing. And so we need to, to make sure, and you think about this story, even if they could scrap, scrap together 200 denarii and buy enough bread to give to everybody, it, it's just a little bit. That's not really God's blessing. But stop and think, if there's no human way to explain the results in proportion to the gifts or the working of those involved, that's God's blessing. When people walked away from that day, they said, man, that was a miracle. I mean, they had five loaves and two fish, but we're all full. We ate and ate and ate till we couldn't eat anymore, and now we're packing up all this food to take home. Sometimes we overplan things. 
sometimes we want every I crossed, every T, T crossed, every I dotted. And, and it's like, wow, you know, uh, sometimes God doesn't work that way. Sometimes God keeps us in the dark. Right? We don't want to be sloppy about our work. And we don't want to expect God just to presume on God to, to cover up our laziness and incompetence. We ought to work hard. We ought to be skilled at what we do for the Lord. But to have God's blessing is not to expect results in proportion to my talents and labor, but in proportion to God's abundance. See, sometimes even on, on Sunday mornings, you know, we're laughing after the service. That you, you don't necessarily know what goes on as we're, we're up there leading worship as musicians. I mean, sometimes we're, we're fumbling, we're failing, we're playing the wrong chords, I'm hitting the wrong knee, whatever. You may not always hear that. I'm sure you do sometimes, but you, you may not hear it all the time. But sometimes we're overly critical of ourselves. And so you walk away and like, oh, man. But you know what? God moved. You know, if it's just all about playing every note perfectly, then we're missing it. That's not where God is going to bless. God is going to bless where our hearts are desirous to really serve him in a sincere way. Without the, the Lord's blessing, these five loaves and these two fish would have been woefully, woefully inadequate. But guess what? With his blessing, there were more, more than abundantly enough. And I pray that you would covet God's blessing, that you would examine your own heart and make sure that nothing in our lives hinders his blessing. So he blesses it. Secondly, he, he breaks it. He breaks it. Blessing and brokenness go together, if you haven't figured that out by now. Uh, you won't find God's blessing apart from God's breaking. You look throughout the scriptures. You see it in the lives of every person that God has used. You think of Abraham. You think of Isaac. You think of Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, Peter, Paul, others. You can go through the whole list of people that God uses through the scriptures. Now, brokenness doesn't mean that they become some passive little wimp. That's not what we're saying. God's men and God's women are mighty, but they're mighty in him. To be broken means to be, what, submissive before the Lord. To realize that, wow, I, I can only look to God. My granddaughter is a really good horse rider. She, we got her a horse about two years ago. And Sophia's taken this horse. She was only, this, I think, the second person to ride this horse. It was kind of wild. And at first, she couldn't even get on the horse. She would just take it out in the ring and put it on a lunge rope and run it around. And half the time, it wouldn't even listen. You know what? But today, she's got that horse trained to the point where the value of the horse has gone, gone up exponentially because she's broken that horse. That horse is submissive to her. And it's submissive to others who, who ride it. She's taught submissiveness to that strong horse that could crush her in a second. <laughs> um, it means that self-will is surrendered to God's will. Self-will is surrendered to God's will. Uh, the major hindrance, I think, for every one of us, the major hindrance we face when we're trying to follow the Lord, is simply this. It's, it's us. It's not your wife. It's not your child. It's not your job. It's not your body. It's you. You're the major hindrance, and I am the major hindrance in following the Lord. That's why Jesus says in Mark 8, 34, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny what? Himself. Why? Because that's the major problem. We're our biggest problem. Take up his cross and follow me. Like I said, the cross wasn't just a little irritation. It was death. It was a big deal. And the selfishness, the me first bent that is really in every one of our hearts is, is really uh, there because, because of the fall of Adam and Eve. It's there because of sin. But it has to be dealt a death blow if we truly want to follow the Lord. I mean, we live in a day today, even in the church and in ministry, where you see uh, Christian pastors, Christian workers, they're, they're burning out 
They're burning out. And you know what? You go to a pastor's conference, you hear these pastors, it's almost like a badge of honor. Yeah, you know, I, I went through burnout. You know, here's what I did. <laughs> and they share these horror stories. And see, when you hear even a Christian psychologist, you, you, you hear them say things like, well, you know, you need to look out more for yourself. Focus on your own needs. Build your own self-esteem. See, if you don't love yourself, you can never love others. You ever hear that? You hear it all the time. I mean, how can they harmonize that advice with the teaching of Jesus? That's not what Jesus taught. Matter of fact, he taught the opposite, did he not? What's it say in Mark 38? Or Mark 8.35, he says, whoever wishes to save his life shall what? Shall lose it. Thank you. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake shall save it. See, we don't need to focus more on ourself. We need to be broken of ourself. The Lord always breaks what he uses. Maybe you're thinking, what about me? How will my needs be met? Here are all these desperately needed, needy people all around me, and I'm insufficient to meet their needs. And you're saying that Christ will give us his sufficiency to meet their needs when we yield our insufficiency to him as he pleases, uses as he pleases. But what about my needs? Well, that's the fourth thing here. Christ's sufficiency always satisfies. Look at verse 42. You know, they could have said, hey, you, you guys are idiots. You know, you got five fish and two loaves. You're going to feed all these people. You're nuts. But look at what 42 says. They all ate and were what? Satisfied. In other words, every, everyone had more than enough. All their little tummies were full. They even had little takeout, take-home bags. They had leftovers. I mean, some food is good for leftovers, right? And then some food is just not. You know, it's just, it just doesn't work out. But I bet you this was really sweet leftovers. And look at 43. They had, they, they had a full measure. They had nothing lacking. They picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces. They ate so much they couldn't even eat anymore. So they went around collecting quarter and half loaves and throwing them in a in a basket. How many disciples were there? Twelve. Well, how many baskets were full? Twelve. Each got a basket full of bread to take home with them that night. See, the bread in this, this miracle is symbolic of Christ. He says, what? I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. John 6.35 See, the Lord is teaching us that if we will surrender our lives to him fully to use as he pleases with no conditions in meeting the needs of others in our family, in our church, in our community, then guess what's he going to do? He's going to satisfy us with a full measure of himself. We're not going to be at the end of the day going, man, that was a bummer deal. I didn't get enough bread. We shouldn't have listened to Jesus. He can test our labors for the Lord to see whether they are done in the energy of the flesh or in the energy of God's blessing. And he does so by this. If we're drained, if we're burned out, there's a good chance, what are we doing? We're trying to meet human needs with our 200 denarii in the flesh. But if we come away tired, but with a satisfaction of fullness, that Christ has left over in our own souls, then guess what? That's the Lord's blessing. That's the Lord blessing us. Whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake and the gospel's sake shall save it. I remember reading this illustration, and it was about a British politician. He was also a very committed believer. His name was William Gladstone. And he was in the midst of a political crisis. I mean, it was just going to all be over in a matter of hours. And it was 2 a.m. in the morning. And he still had to write this key speech for the next day. And it was, he was just in the corner. He didn't know what to do. And it had to be very, very carefully worded because it could mean the difference between victory and defeat. 
um, for him and his party. Everyone was looking to him to lead this. In answering a knock at his door, he found the mother of a poor dying cripple who begged him to come and speak to her son about the Lord. And without hesitation, the story says he went and he spent the remainder of the night <laughs> reading Bible verses and explaining the way of salvation to this boy. Eventually, he led him to Christ and he held his hand until sunrise when this young boy slipped into the presence of the Savior. He spent the entire night. He was weary in his body, but he was joyful in his heart. And people that were there said that Gladstone went to the House of Commons and he figured, you know what, my career is over. I don't have anything prepared. I don't have adequate time to prepare my speech. But on that day, he stood before Parliament and he spoke with such power and such freedom that historians say that this was the greatest oration of his entire life, the greatest speech of his life. And it was so convincing that it carried his cause to victory. See, when we look around us and we see these overwhelming needs, and then you hear the Lord tap you on the shoulder and say, you go give him some deed. Go find something. You go meet that need. What does he want to do? He wants us to give the bread of life to those who are hungry. It doesn't take much calculation to realize that we can't scrap, scrape together enough to barely meet the needs. That's clear. We're insufficient. We don't have the gifts. We don't have the abilities. We don't, we're just insufficient across the board. And then you hear Christ whisper in your ear, how many loaves do you have? Not many, Lord. <laughs> I'm kind of woefully insufficient here. And the Lord smiles and says, you know, it's okay. Give them to me. Give them to me. And when we give our insufficient resources, when we give our inabilities and our abilities to the Lord to use as he pleases, what happens? He exchanges his sufficiency for our insufficiency. And then he gives each of us really a basket full of leftovers for ourselves besides his blessing. So ask yourself, are you being used of the Lord? Do you understand that you're insufficient? You're inadequate? Don't ever trust in yourself. Don't ever trust in your gifts, your abilities. Yield all that to the Lord. Ask him to use you in a mighty way. Use you in your marriage. Use you in your family. Use you in your church. Even though you feel you couldn't do anything, that's okay. You give that to the Lord. And He will supply what is needed. And you will sit back and you will say, wow, what happened? Where did this come from? It would be amazing. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this incident in the ministry of Christ and how this miracle we're not really told many details about it, but it was just purely God. I mean, just your power feeding these people. I mean, I can't imagine how, even as tired as the disciples were, they probably didn't sleep the rest of the night. They were probably just talking about, wow, can you believe what you did, Lord? And Lord, we long for those times. We long to see you draw people here to this church to hear your word, to hear your truth. Lord, we long for young people to come to be taught the Word of God, to be ministered to, to establish godly friendships and relationships. Lord, we pray for children to come, families. Lord, that you would allow them to hear the truth. Lord, there's so many people that are needy, that are struggling in this world today. They're being bombarded constantly. And Lord, it's so good to know that you're the one source that we can go to that you will completely meet our inadequacies, our insufficiency with your sufficiency. And we will walk away full, satisfied. And so, Lord, we pray tonight, if there's any here tonight who's yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, Lord, that even in the quietness of this moment, you might tug on their heart. And show them that you're real. Show them that you're there, that you do have the gift of eternal life. And they simply need to cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner.
turn from their sin to the Savior. And you will answer that prayer if it's prayed from a sincere heart. So Lord, we ask your blessing upon our fellowship now. Pray that you'll bless the rest of our week as well. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.